Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition. This next episode came about after we started talking on our socials around heart health, resting heart rate, and what can impact a lower resting heart rate and how to know if it's something we should be concerned about or something that has just happened naturally through our training adaptations. Now, with the questions and the conversations that came out of that discussion, we thought it was a really good opportunity to delve a little bit deeper into cardiac health in active individuals and athletes um, and invite someone who knows a lot more about that topic than I do and that person is Dr. Nikki Stamp and if you haven't come across Dr. Nikki in um, either Instagram land or Twitter it is absolutely time to go and follow along we have linked her socials within the um, episode description here now she is an epic human based in WA Australia she is both a heart and lung surgeon uh, and the way that she really approaches her surgical career and also her relationship with the patient is all about improving their journey and being able to translate every process every complication every risk to them in a way that they can understand and I think that's why her presence has been so well received and her growth on social media has just been this force to be reckoned with and I've absolutely loved um, watching her grow over time. She's an author of two books um, that are both very, very much worth reading um, and in this episode we pick her brain and you can just really sense the passion that she has in all things heart health uh, and has absolutely chosen the perfect career for her. So settle in, this episode is all about the heart. Um, we talk about the basics and what the heart actually does, which I'm so glad I asked her about because the clarity within her response was just epic. Uh, we talk about what happens to the heart when we exercise. Uh, we chat through what an athlete heart is if there's any risks to that, um, signs and symptoms not to ignore in that space. We talk about heart rate variability and the usefulness of that um, in tracking our training load and our well-being. Uh, we also talk about the increased risk of atrial fibrillation in the athlete population, why that might be and what it is related to. And after that, we actually invite my husband and also co-founder of Compete Nutrition, Dan Edge, into the studio studio. I, we don't have a studio. We have a media room in the home um, to chat through actually his journey in heart health as um, an, a top end age group athlete in the endurance space. So really, really cool episode. We had so much fun chatting through all these things. As I said before, the passion that she showed in all these areas just absolutely shines through in the way that she explains things and the um, passion that she shows within her um, description. So I just know that you're going to love this. I know that you're going to feel so much better around all different things um, and have that innate understanding of where to from here if you are concerned with any signs or symptoms you may be experiencing. So dig in, enjoy this episode, and without further ado, let's introduce Nikki into the conversation. Cheers. Welcome, Nikki, to the Compete Waffle. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I thought I'd better kick us off before we just continue talking without actually pressing record, which I always <laughs> do on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get, get away and go, oh, sorry, we should have been recording this. That, that was quite a gem. <laughs> now, Nikki, for those who haven't met you or come across um, your social media um, activity, 
who is Nikki Stamp? <laughs> that's a that sounds like a very loaded question but yeah, um, yeah. Try, try not to overcomplicate it or give yourself a negative rap in any way uh, <laughs> philosophical um look, yeah, yeah. Uh, so i'm i'm a i'm a cardiothoracic surgeon i'm an adult cardiothoracic surgeon um and i have particular areas of interest in um in heart disease for women. Um, I'm a PhD candidate uh, at the moment and my research is looking at uh, increasing levels of physical activity mm. in patients who have undergone cardiac surgery, particularly women. Uh, and in addition to that, I've written a couple of books. Uh, I host TV shows. Um, I write frequently for media outlets and appear on TV and radio and things like that, trying to give people health information in a way that's sort of understandable and accessible and easily digestible. Um, and at the same time, trying to get rid of some of the really quite terrible um, <laughs> health advice that kind of floats around at the moment. Yeah. Is that what it, like, did you always go into um, medicine and, you know, that heart surgery type of thing, really wanting to, or having that passion to translate to the wider population or did it just kind of happen? Uh, no, this has been a complete accident yeah. <laughs> um, and it just keeps kind of snowballing and going in completely random directions. I think the interesting thing about that sort of that, as you say, translation, I think that's a really good way of putting it is that that's kind of what we do in a day-to-day -day basis. I think that's what we expect of our healthcare practitioners that um, we can explain to our patients or clients, whatever, um, in a really accessible way. And if you don't do that, um, you know, for me, for example, like when I'm trying to explain to someone heart surgery, what it entails, what the risks are, why they need it, what their alternatives are, things like that. If I can't deliver that message to them in a way that is uh, understandable, then I've, I've done a really bad job. Mm. So, you know, to me, I see it as a, a sort of a, a natural but unnatural extension of what I do um, day to day. Um, and, you know, and I do think it's important, you know, we, we do see a lot of, um, a lot of misinformation or information that's confusing and inaccessible. Um, and I think it's really important that we have healthcare uh, professionals from all different fields who are willing to be a, be a bit more public facing and try and explain all these, you know, confusing uh, <laughs> bits of information to, to people in a way that they can, they can get and they can apply in their own lives. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's a big thing because obviously a lot of this social presence isn't paid for um, mm -hmm. in your time. There's a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of emotion that go into it. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> it is, how, it is, it's hard work. <laughs> yeah. How do you manage your days? Like what does the day look like for you in terms of both the surgery and the medical side, um, the paid job and then also <laughs> <laughs> taking that out, but obviously you're doing a lot of extra um, media stuff as well. So how does yeah. that look? Um, it works. I don't know how it works sometimes, nah, um, to be honest. <laughs> it just kind of happens. Like my normal sort of clinical day for me um, would be sort of, I usually get up pretty early, try and exercise before work um, and then, you know, start somewhere between seven or eight in the morning. Um, you know, in the course of a normal day, can do two to three heart surgeries a day. You know, a normal sort of average heart surgery would take about three or four hours. So mm. that's two of them um, seeing patients between and after. Um, so that's sort of a normal clinical day. And then, of course, you know, the emergencies can happen. So that can be pretty mm. unpredictable. 
And all this other stuff just sort of fits in around that. And I don't know how it happens, but it just does. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I try to, uh, yeah, well, look, I do, I do enjoy it. I wouldn't mm. keep doing things that I don't enjoy or I don't mm. see value in. Um, so I think that, you know, for me being organized and, um, and, and, and yeah, like I say, enjoying some of it, mm. not all of it, um, <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, make, it makes it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And, that presence, like, did you set out with an Instagram account for your, um, I guess, for your work or did it start as a personal account and mm. then snowball into more of a work doctor account? Um, I think it's uh, started a sort of a bit more just, you know, nothingness really just, you know, mm. usual, you know, in the days before Instagram mm. was this highly sort of curated thing, yeah. you know, I had an Instagram account that was just, I don't know, just have whatever. to scroll back to your original photos. Oh, <laughs> That's probably like just, you know, some with like random filters on it. Um, but yeah. yeah, what I did do um, to start with, which was entirely consciously professional was Twitter. Um, and Twitter's like a really good space. Um, Twitter, social media can be good and bad, but from a, a professional academic point of view, um, Twitter is, you know, incredibly useful um, for sharing information, for teaching, for mentoring. You know, I follow a whole bunch of journals. Um, all this information literally just falls into my lap um, and I don't have to go hunting for it so much. So, um, yeah, it's it's very um, it, it, that was very conscious, um, yeah. and I think it's very useful. But I think it, you know, we've sort of alluded to there are there are some good sides to it, and there are also some bad sides to it. You know, it is a lot of um, unpaid work. It is a lot of um, you know putting yourself out there is not easy because you people have opinions and they're not yes. afraid to share them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you know, uh, like it, it is it, it is the sort of you take the good with the bad. Mm, mm, absolutely i like your presence on social media has just been this breath of fresh air that i've enjoyed <laughs> following for a really good reason and that's why we we're so excited to have you on board so i think without further ado first of all dan's just arrived into this podcast so dan is the co-founder of compete dan nikki nikki dan dan's gonna share his story a little bit later in the podcast but for now it's gonna be all nikki for a little bit just to give <laughs> us a really good base knowledge of um let's start basics what what does the heart do in the body I think it does everything because I'm biased. I think it's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, <laughs> um, so look, the, the the main function of the heart is really delivery of blood, which contains oxygen and other energy substrates and removal of waste um, through the blood. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty much what it does. It's a really sexy, sophisticated pump um, right. at its core. Um, there's, there's, you know, in some ways, like when you start trying to complicate it beyond that, it makes no sense. But yeah, so our heart, um, our heart receives blood back from our from our body um, to the right side of the heart. It mm -hmm. pumps it um, through the lungs where it uh, gets rid of carbon dioxide, um, uptakes oxygen that we've breathed in. Um, that returns to the left side of the heart through the atrium and then through the ventricle and then that gets pumped out. Um, through the aorta, which is the main blood vessel out of the heart, and that goes to everywhere. It goes to um, to our brain, to our limbs, to our gut, to our vital organs, um, and it's it it operates under a fairly sophisticated system of control. Mm -hmm. um, it you know there are nerves that can tell it to beat faster. There are hormonal signals that can tell it to beat faster. But I think the probably the coolest thing about the heart, though 
is that it can operate completely autonomously. So if you take a heart out of a body and you give mm-hmm. it oxygenated blood, it will just mm-hmm. beat. So it has this degree of automaticity. And I think that's amazing. Um, but a lot of the changes that we feel during the day, you know, when we're at rest, our heart will slow down through all these sort of neurohormonal um, or the heart itself detects that it's not, it's not getting as much blood back, for example, and it just chills out. Um, or when we exercise, we get, you know, signals to make it beat faster, um, all these sorts of things and harder. It's just, I think it's a really amazing, even though I say it is just a pump, it's a pretty, pretty cool um, and interesting pump. You know, I was like, oh, this question is too basic to ask. I shouldn't ask it, but I'm so glad I asked that. That was such a cool response. And I can just see your passion of like just oozing oozing out of this conversation. Such a dork. Don't worry. This happens to me when I start talking about food. Oh, good. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. So you mentioned a little bit about what happens to the heart when we start to exercise. Can you give a little bit more background to what actually happens when we start to move our bodies? Yeah. How does the heart adapt? Yeah. So, so when we're active, obviously our body um, needs more energy, particularly for, you know, working skeletal muscles um, Mm. because we need, we need more oxygen. um, And so what we call, what happens then is that the body has an increase in its oxygen demand. um, And the heart meets this by essentially by increasing cardiac output. So cardiac output is um, the amount that liters per minute that the heart is able to pump, um, which it does by two main mechanism. It first of all, increases something called stroke volumes. So that means with every beat, the heart actually pumps more blood per heartbeat mm-hmm. um, and the heart rate also um, increases, which we can all like, we can feel when we're mm. exercising, right? We can feel our heart rate jump up. Yeah, especially um, at the moment. Especially, yeah, right. Um, and especially also we're all like attached to various like watches and phones that tell us what we're, what our hearts are doing. So, so, so that, those are the sort of, those are the main things. Um, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of other, um, there's a lot of other mechanisms going on that, that, you know, make it facilitate us exercising. Mm. Um, but one of the things is that the, the heart having to work a lot harder. So, the oxygen demands of the heart go up quite a bit because the heart is, uh, is a really specialised kind of muscle. Um, so that oxygen demand for the heart also um, increases, which means in people, people who have heart disease, sometimes uh, exercise can precipitate um, heart attacks or angina and things like that. So what we see then is so our heart rate goes up, our heart's pumping harder and faster. Um, the, uh, our blood vessels around our body, particularly in working parts of our body, so like our skeletal muscles, they, they will dilate so that more blood and, and substrate energy substrate can get there. Our blood pressure goes up a little bit, which is completely normal. Um, and then there's all these other sort of cardiac, well, there's all these other effects. So, um, you know, our muscles over time with training, they get more effective at, at getting, um, getting energy out. They get bigger and more efficient. Um, our lungs get more efficient. Our respiratory muscles, so like our, our intercostal muscles and our diaphragm get better and stronger as well. Um, so we can take in more air. We our blood gets a lot less sticky, which is really good because sticky blood is not good for us. Um, our blood vessels get healthier, um, and you know we see things like our flight or uh, flight or fight uh, nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system kind of shifts towards away from that um, that fight or flight side of things and towards more like a restful state, which was we say increased vagal tone. So our body is is less geared up all the time for for danger and more more um, able to sort of chill out and relax which is really really important um and and you know for for your average weekend warrior you know these sorts of these you know 
effects are mm. really beneficial for our health. Yeah. Um, so, you know, over time, you know, we see um, a lot of protective a lot of protective effects um, from, from physical activity and exercise, mm. um, particularly in the realm of cardiovascular disease risk, but also things like dementia, some cancers, um, you know, but for cardiovascular disease, we can see up to a 40 or 50% risk reduction um, by being physically wow. active and things like, you know, reducing our blood pressure, um, our weight, if that's relevant, mm. um, reduce blood glucose, um, reduce triglycerides, which are one of the types of fat in the blood and we don't like them that much um, <laughs> and increasing our, our HDL or our good cholesterol. So that's really, um, those sorts of things are, are really very important um, mm. and a really good reason to, to be physically active. Yeah. I love that. Now at the extreme end, there is this um, thing called the athlete's heart. And mm -hmm. I remember my mum talking about it. So my mum, for those who aren't aware, is a heart sonographer. And so she's like, in her element, probably listening to this. Um, what um, what is the athlete's heart? Is it a thing? And yeah, what kind of the signs and symptoms? Yeah, so athlete's heart is is really interesting. Um, so with training, even if you are just like me, a bit of a weekend warrior, mm. um, we do see structural, um, functional um, and electrical adaptations in the heart that essentially are making us more efficient athletes. Mm. Um, so we see, we see things like... Um, like the heart, actually heart muscle getting a bit bigger. Mm -hmm. um, we can see some mild dilatation of some of our heart chambers. Um, our heart could be a bit more efficient. So it, it, it pumps more with, with each, each heartbeat at mm -hmm. rest as well as when we're, when we're active. Um, and those, those changes can be a little bit different depending on what sort of activity you, you engage in, whether you're engaging in endurance type activities or, or strength type activities. Although, you know, today, I don't think there's that many people who do a purely um, one or the other. A lot of us engage in strength and endurance type, yeah. type activities. But an, the athlete's heart is this ad adaptation to, to chronic training. Um, and it's this, these, this group of structural, functional, um, electrical changes um, that allows athletes to perform physical tasks better than non-athletes like me. Um, and when we talk, when, <laughs> I'm hearing you. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. um, and when, when we talk about athletes, I think, you know, there is a lot of overlap, you know, particularly, you know, that people are, can be really um, engaged in their, their mm. sport or their activity at a really high level with a lot of vigorous training. But when we talk about athletes, we are talking about people who participate in a sport um, or an activity that requires a lot of regular competition and competing at like a really ultra high level of excellence and achievement, which requires them to have, you know, ongoing um, intense training. Mm. And so, so the, 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 I guess the reasons that the athlete's heart is interesting is first of all, we want to see how it relates to performance. We want people to be able to build those adaptations that allow them to be more effective at their sport um, and, you know, work out, you know, what, what, the, what things in, that happen in, that, in the heart that change can, can increase performance, what are maladaptive, um, how we can maximise those changes. But also on the other side of things is that there is some overlap with cardiac disease states mm. so we need to to differentiate those um so that's where things can get a bit tricky um because it's it's not an illness it's not a disease it, it probably represents a normal spectrum of of cardiac function and structure um amongst an athletic population um and you know we like i say we want we want people to have those adaptations because it probably improves their performance but we're not sure if it's always benign 
these normal changes. So sometimes after detraining, we will see some of these changes regress. So the heart muscle, like any muscle, um, yeah. will kind of, um, you know, um, regress, regress a bit, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, But there's also a, a lot of concern with, with where disease starts and the normal athlete's heart begins. Sure. Um, and there are a few different diseases that we really want to differentiate um, from the athlete's heart to actual disease states. And one of the main reasons we want to do that is because of things like sudden cardiac death in athletes, mm. which is really rare, really mm. rare. But in younger pa- younger people, younger athletes particularly, it is associated with um, like actual cardiac diseases like something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is where the heart muscle gets incredibly, incredibly thick um, mm-hmm. and they're prone to, um, you know, having cardiac rhythm problems or, uh, you know, the heart not pumping well enough um, or uh, other things like um, something called ARBC, which is where they get really dangerous heart rhythms. Um, so we want to we differentiate what those are. And that can be, that can be a little tricky um, mm-hmm. because there are these, there is this sort of overlap um, and there are ways of, of, of telling the difference between what what is likely benign and what is likely you know you know potentially dangerous mm. and some of the things that we look at would be you know we have different measurements for people who who would consider themselves selves athletes so if they're having a a scan of their heart and we see, you know, an, an abnormally thick part of the heart, mm-hmm. we wouldn't necessarily compare them to the general population. We might compare them to an athletic population. Yeah. Um, but also things like, you know, um, we look at things like uh, gender, uh, we look at race. So there's a lot of good data from um, registries from the United States mm-hmm. where they look at um, sudden cardiac death or cardiac illness in, in athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that um, African-American athletes can have a really thick Heart, that's completely normal for, wow, for that race yeah, sure. so yeah so all these so it is really hard to differentiate that um and you know this is where you know you know i'm not a sports cardiologist but um you know it's where the use of a really specialized team mm. um so involving you know a sports medicine physician mm. The sports cardiologist, um, you know, sometimes a genetic um, counselor, and all these these other things mm. are really important at um, looking after these athletes and keeping them safe. Yeah, for sure. And are there signs and symptoms within all of this that um, that usually are benign, or are there signs and symptoms that we should not ignore when it comes to um, the athlete? Yeah, so I think the things that, um, and I think this applies for our our um, non-competitive athletes mm. um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. There, <laughs> um, look, there's there's discussion around screening athletes and, mm. and who who gets screened and who doesn't. There are guidelines um, around this, um, and usually starts with something like an ECG, which is the electrical tracing of the heart. Um, and from there, the athlete might un- need to undergo further further testing and examination. And there is a bit of debate as to who should who should be screened. You know, do we broaden screening for, um, you know, kids who are, you know, just engaging in competitive sport, but perhaps not at that elite level. Um, but for, for, you know, anyone who's, who is active, regardless of whether you're, you know, I don't know, playing footy on the weekend or you're, you're training at a high level um, in an elite sport, things that should be raising alarm bells are, you know, reduced performance, are unexplained mm-hmm. reduced performance, sure. um, shortness of breath, dizziness, mm-hmm. fainting, um, pain in the chest, palpitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of, the, some of the data around sudden cardiac death in athletes, um, when, we, when we're able to look at 
you know, how they were feeling in the days or weeks leading up to that event. Um, there, there's a, a proportion of them who report some of these symptoms before that, you know, very serious event. Mm. Um, so just keep in mind that if you, if you feel unwell mm. when you're, you're exercising, whatever level you're exercising, mm. you have to go see um, whether it be your GP or, mm. you know, a sports physician, depending on, on your, your level. That's really practical advice. Thanks. <laughs> I, um, it, but the athlete's heart as it is, like in terms of how it does become more efficient and there's a mm-hmm. lower resting heart rate, all these types mm-hmm. of things, is that a dangerous thing or something to be worried about? Not, not, not really. You know, most of the time that's going to be benign. You know, the, mm. the, you know, we all, so we've all heard about people who really fit have a really low resting heart rate. You know, sometimes you know, thirty to forty beats a minute, and it is just a marker, a marker of efficiency. There are, you know, times when you know people who are otherwise fit and well and who are very um, athletic can have like a really low heart rate, can have, you know, some some changes that we would consider sort of almost part of the normal spectrum, but, you know, in, in other people would be considered, you know, um, potentially serious. So it is, a, it is, um, this is where that, that specialized team would come into, come into play um, to investigate whether or not there's, this is just a normal adaptation um, yeah. and a normal spectrum of, of, of the athlete's heart or whether we're looking at something that, that is a little bit more concerning. Fantastic. That's yeah, that's really good. Now, Heart rate variability, as we mentioned before, people do tend to wear and track a lot <laughs> these days, <laughs> the heart being one of the main things. Yep. Um, heart rate variability is something that people look at along with resting heart rate and things mm-hmm. like that being um, tracked. Is that a um, good measure to be um, being guided by? What's, what is um, heart rate variability is probably a good start and then kind of go from there maybe. <laughs> yeah, sure. So a lot of people think that the heart just beats, you know, completely regularly, like, you know, like clockwork. Every single beat is exactly the same. Um, and that's actually not true. A healthy heart will have variations between uh, between heartbeats. Mm. So heart rate variability is the change in, in time between consecutive heartbeats. And it's an interesting marker because it's a marker of a whole bunch of things and perhaps their effect on the heart. It's a marker mm. of how our um, nervous system interacts with our heart. Um, it can, you know, change with things like sleep and stress and training um, and, and reflects sort of our, how our body is kind of regulating all of these really vital functions mm. and it's um it's a really old measure but it's gained a lot of popularity in recent years um even before we had it all on our smartphones um because it has been shown that w- what we want is we want some heart rate variability because we want our body to be to be adapting so we want some some change from beat to beat um so patients who or people who have reduced heart rate variability um, are at higher risk of, um, you know, heart disease, of death from all causes. Um, and we've seen this in, in a few populations. And yeah, it is it is popping up on everything at the moment. You know, I, I, I love my iPhone and I was looking, I use some of the health data um, really out of interest, <laughs> but I, I noticed that my, my phone um, from my watch calculates my heart rate variability. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, but it, it is something that's gaining a bit of um, a bit of traction in in training, um, so it is becoming a bit. It is becoming you know popular. It's being investigated for for um, athletes, um, and it's being used as kind of a metric to differentiate when you're um, having an appropriate training load, mm-hmm. um, when you get helpful adaptations, um, uh, to when you are getting uh, you know perhaps you're overtraining or you're not having enough rest, and you know there's a, a 
um, as a measure of kind of fatigue of the athlete. Um, so it is it is getting uh, there is some evidence to say that um, you know we if we monitor heart rate variability in in athletes mm. that it can be a useful guide um, for training intensity um, that it can you know predict uh, you know changes in performance and fitness. It can tell you when you're not um, rested enough, mm. um, and so you can adapt you know training programs for that. But, you know, this is sort of a, I think it's a work in progress. Sure. Um, and, you know, for, for elite level athletes, you know, they're looking for anything that will give them an edge. For, say, someone like me, um, I probably don't need to be doing that. You know, it's, it's a really good one, a good example of these things that spill over from the elite um, athlete literature um, and can kind of complicate what we're trying to do uh, for the general population. You know, for the general population, what we need to be probably focusing on is not their heart rate variability but oh. perhaps they're um, just actually getting them out and about and, right. and meeting our, our, our physical activity requirements in the first place. But I think it's, look, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, with it popping up on all of our various mm. devices, um, you know, I think that, that the ability for our, um, our, our wearables, you know, whether it be mm. a watch or, or with your phone and so on and so forth, to provide us data about our hearts is really, really exciting, particularly if it's refined to a point where we can use it to predict um, or, or give an early warning for cardiac disease before it gets to a point where it's a bit more dangerous. So I, I think it's in, interesting, interesting times. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, now, look, I'm going to throw a question at you that I didn't send you. But <laughs> um, looking at that resting heart rate, how mm -hmm. does that change? Um, you know, we mentioned it a little bit in the athlete's heart and having that lower resting heart rate. Mm -hmm. What if um, we see that lower resting heart rate? And is that something that can happen in states of being underfed? Yeah. So, um, look, the best, best, um, I suppose, analogy to this is with people with, um, with anorexia nervosa. Mm. Um, so anorexia, um, I'm sure people, um, people already know this, but anorexia is, you know, really characterized by really, really low energy intakes, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a life threatening condition, mm. you know, has the highest mortality of any, any psychiatric disorder. Mm. And it is associated with, um, with bradycardia or other heart rhythm, um, heart rhythm disturbances. And, you know, sometimes when we have people with anorexia who are admitted to hospital, you know, they are often put on a, a cardiac monitor to, to see, make sure that they're not having any of these dangerous um, cardiac rhythms. So, so that is, um, that is, is possible mm. with people who are in, you know, really extreme, mm. you know, energy, um, um, deficits, energy yeah. deficits. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, I think, I know there's a lot of interest in, in sports and in athletes at the moment mm. um, with, with, you know, l low energy intakes. I know at the moment, it's such an interesting topic, mm. you know, the relative energy deficiency in sport mm -hmm. and, um, you know, hypothalamic um, amenorrhea type state mm. is, is getting a lot of, a lot of airtime because mm. I think that, you know, that, that when we're active, whether we're, you know, active at any level, mm. it is important to fuel our bodies properly um and you know i think that like i say we can just extrapolate from anorexia we know mm. that um you know being energy deficient can have significant effects on the heart um you know at what point that that yeah. ticks over you know from you know our, our 
you know, normal range of energy intakes. Mm. I'm not quite sure, but definitely in anorexia, low, mm. really dangerously low heart rate can can be something that we see. Yeah, really interesting. Um, what's the main re- main difference between having a um, like? How can we see the difference? I guess is probably the easiest question here of like between just having a low resting heart rate because of fitness mm-hmm. and the um, change in that, um, how the heart behaves, say, at the point of exercise. And is there a way to tell the difference between the, um, I guess, that heart in anorexia, even if they're, they're also very active or just mm-hmm. that if it's just a fitness? Um, it, kind of yeah, thing. I suppose, that, you know, in the context of an eating disorder, you know, you have to take it, you know, with, with all of the other physical and, you know, um, emotional and psychiatric changes that happen. You know, for the vast majority of us, you know, as we get fitter and our heart rate, you know, will you know, reduce at rest, um, that's completely normal, particularly if you don't have any symptoms. So I I get this question a lot around, you know, low blood pressure as well. Mm, And the the main thing is symptoms really. Um, So for someone who has a a resting heart rate that's quite low and they they feel fine from it, it's most of the time okay, particularly Mm -hmm. if they're young and healthy. You know, if they are, you know, older and they have a really low resting heart rate, we might be a bit more concerned that there could be something, you know, a little bit more sinister underlying it. Mm-hmm. But for young fit people who have a, have a low resting heart rate, you know, we'd say that's, that's fine. It's a normal adaptation um, mm-hmm. to training, um, you know, and it's, and it's healthy for them. Mm. Oh, that's really good. I, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, if it's a problem, it's a problem. And follow it yeah. up. Yeah. The symptoms Absolutely. that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I'd love to chat um, and really bring into the conversation another thing that became close to our hearts, pun intended, um, (laughs) a few years ago for Dan and myself, um, who's just coming back in the room, um, and that's uh, atrial fibrillation or Mm -hmm. atrial flutter, and Mm -hmm. they're not the same thing, so I'm not going to pretend they are, but I'm also (laughs) not a heart surgeon, so I'm going to let you explain what they are. Um, And that it actually may be something that's connected to that athletic state. And that's definitely something we weren't even aware of, I guess, you know, five years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What is AF and how can it be related to the athlete? Okay. So um, AF or atrial fibrillation is the most common um, heart rhythm abnormality in the population. It generally is associated with age. As we get older, we see the, um, the rates of AF go up quite significantly. And the atria, heart has four chambers. It's got the two atria on top. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got the ventricles on the bottom and fibrillation means just an irregular uncoordinated um, contraction. Mm-hmm. So normally the, the heart, um, the heart muscles squeeze under their, under the advice of its own like inbuilt electrical system, like your house, it's got wiring right. um, and your heart will, will squeeze and, and contract in a really coordinated fashion. Mm. In atrial fibrillation, what happens is instead of being coordinated and squeezing down nicely, the atrium kind of just shakes. Um, and I see this a lot. I see it like mm. actually in person in the heart and it just, they, they kind of quiver. Yeah. So what happens with that is that the risks associated with that is sometimes that it can, it can cause the the heart rate to go up very very high Mm. um, and people can feel really unwell from that Mm -hmm. Um, it also means that the atrium atrium contributes um, a bit of of filling of the ventricles which enables the heart to then pump more blood so if the atria aren't able to contribute to filling the ventricles it can actually um, reduce the amount of blood that your heart is able to push out sure. the other problem that we worry about particularly as people get older is um, is stroke so your heart your blood if it 
if it's kind of pools in one area, it will clot mm -hmm. and it, that can happen inside the heart. Mm -hmm. So in AF, what can happen is you get little clots forming inside the atria mm -hmm. and then they can eventually make their way into the brain and cause a stroke. So those mm -hmm. are the main main issues with atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. um, atrial flutter is, is a little bit different um, because it, 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 just with the electrical wiring of it. Mm -hmm. um, so basically... Um, it, it, the electrical um, impulse goes into what we call a rear entry circuit. Mm -hmm. um, and so rather than sort of beating, um, it, it's not, it's not a normal beat of the atrium, mm -hmm. but it, it does have this usually a, a regular um, but rapid um, rapid uh, beat of the atria, um, and that tends to be um, it tends to be a little bit uh, less common um, than AF, um, and you know there's a whole bunch of medications we can we can give to that. So with regards to the athlete, it's is really interesting. Um, so atrial fibrillation particularly is associated with um, with athletic performance, um, particularly with time, and particularly with um, really vigorous um, vigorous kinds of of endurance type um, endurance type sports. So there seems to be a bit of a, a, a protective factor up to a point. So being mm. physically active, you know, will will be protective against atrial fibrillation as we get older. Um, but for people who are like, you know, really high level endurance athletes, there is an increased risk of AF. And the reason behind that is a little bit unclear. Um, it might be due to some of these, you know, normal structural changes that happen with an athlete. It might be um, that those changes um, can tick over into a... Um, a state where they cause a bit of scarring and um, other structural changes in the atrium. Um, it may be um, related to inflammation. Um, it might be that that um, that can unmask a genetic predisposition to it. Um, you know, we know that um, you know uh, there can be an association with things like. Um, supplements, um, caffeine usage, all of those things. So usually when they all combine together, um, mm. that's when we might see AF, AF in, um, in the athletic population. Yeah, I think with that, we might introduce Dan into the conversation because one thing I've realised over the years of practising is that real stories just resonate so 100%. well. With their, <laughs> I feel like some pe sometimes people listen to us, Nikki, but <laughs> yeah absolutely now one thing dan that we talked about earlier in this podcast was symptoms and it definitely was something i was smiling at because it was pretty much just lining up with the things that we ignored um <laughs> when it comes to heart issues um what was your experience like i guess give us a bit of background about the training that you were doing leading up to that one moment where you realized there was a definite issue so i suppose I suppose from my from my context, like I didn't didn't all of a sudden go from nothing to uh, a large amount of volume in training. Mm -hmm. So I've been an athlete for most of my life in multiple different sports. Um, but uh, I suppose it was 2012. Uh, so I retired from uh, from playing hockey uh, after after being in Europe for a while and decided to take up triathlon. And well, I'd sort of taken up triathlon as a way to get fit for hockey, and then kind of got mm. and then decided I'd go off and do something else. And um, as, as is with me, everything I do has to be 110%. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I uh, yeah decided that I'd, um, I'd give it a good crack. And, and obviously the, the mentality around training back then was, um, was very much more is better. Mm. 
And I, I use a lot of it these days in sort of talking around training and um, and how I suppose even tracking is mm. is is uh, can inhibit actually good good training practice. Mm. So, um, so for me, it was it was very much about just trying to get more and more and more. Uh, mm. And a lot of uh, a lot of um, big ultra endurance racing. So I'd have my in 2012, I had my, my Ironman debut in um, my Iron Distance debut in New Zealand, and, and had a quite a successful race uh, in that in that event. And then was invited to go to Germany mm. uh, mid year to race another one. Uh, mm. And then that was probably a boy four months turnaround. Yeah, yeah, so that was from January to July. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in that period, I was still still in some significant blocks of training. So at this point, mm. I was training anywhere from sort of 25 to 30 hours a week mm. on top of working full time. Mm. Um, and then throwing the the ultra the big the big ultra endurance so uh, whether it was sort of a half distance or, or something uh, mm. um, in that through the year and um, <clears throat> yeah so I had those races had a bit of a break after after Rolf in Germany and then um, was back into a, a big preparation again to race uh, Ironman Busselton mm. some WA so that's mm. WA. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah, so uh, what's yeah. that? Yeah, like a five-month turnaround. Yeah, again. so another five-month yeah. turnaround again, and, and I hadn't really taken any any um, like while well, obviously I had a little bit of a break during I suppose during the preparation was more focused mm. on volume and just getting getting big numbers in. Mm. Um, so big hours. We're talking we're talking seven eight hours a day uh, mm. so types of training at at a, at a relatively high intensity. Mm. Um, and I suppose this is the first day that the first time I had an issue was really um, about four, three or four weeks out and I was doing a simulation. So I was on a, on a, uh, a simulation day for a, a 180 time mm. trial. Uh, and so my heart rates normally would sit, so I could sit with my heart rate then for about five, six, seven hours around mm. 145, 150 pretty comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. Numbers were all, were all good. Body was good. Nutrition was good. Um, Better have been that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So power and everything was good. So I was like, oh, this is a good day. Like everything's going well. And then I used to have this uh, on the way back on the freeway for those in, around Newcastle, mm. stopped at the service stations at Karua uh, just to make sure <laughs> with water and and um, and uh, get a power rate or a Coke or something. I think at that point it was um, starting to get the back end. So I wanted to, wanted to put a bit of nitrous on the... <laughs> the yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was after that. It was interesting. So I, uh, I got back on the bike and then I had trouble uh, trouble putting any power down. So every time mm. I put in a solid effort and and try and actually call on, I suppose, what is now like, mm. would have been just a bit more blood to flow through the body, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd get lightheaded. Mm. Um, and so I was like, what's going on here? I just thought, oh, I've been doing too much, must be tired. Um, and then I got back and found that... I must note here that I beat him back. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's in trouble. <laughs> I beat him back on the yeah. bike. You're probably pretty pretty pleased. I'm, still, I'm still living off that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good on you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I got back and was just like, just felt really crap. And mm. like, oh, I actually still remember the, the taste of metal in my mouth. Um, mm. I did that quite a bit years after. Mm. But um, yeah, my heart rate had, had gone up and was spiking up around that sort of 270, 280. Mm. Mm. That's completely abnormal. Yeah. Even even if you're active, <laughs> <laughs> well above that two twenty yeah. minus yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, that was the first time I had symptoms, and then um, like I, like we went. So obviously, then Leisha's. Uh, we sent the data to to Robin. Um, so Leisha's Leisha's mom and went in and saw the saw the, uh, the cardiologist and sort of said, well, basically, mate, you've you've got to remember that your head's probably a bit bit tougher than your body, so you just got to remember that. 
not to push so hard. I was like, but, okay. Yeah. But yeah. also your heart didn't stay out of rhythm. Like no, yeah, so, it kept, yeah, like it kept coming they... back into rhythm. So mm. I sort of, that, that wasn't a consistent problem. <laughs> and then, so I, I, I still went, did the race. It was okay. Probably, I think the, the, the day that the race was there, it was um, 40 odd degrees and <laughs> pulled my body through a fair bit. Lost 11, <laughs> 11 kilos or something on the day, which mm. was pretty significant. So I could have mm. lost as well. But um, I decided to go back and race some shorter, high intensity um, events. And so over the years, it was sort of went from the longer stuff to the shorter stuff. And I just found that... Um, so over a few years, my ability to recover uh, reduced. Mm. So I'd do a, a relatively strong session on a Saturday and then Sunday I'd be able to get out and run at a, as, a, as an aerobic mm. intensity, but I couldn't, I couldn't actually do any efforts. So I'd just sit mm. there headed. Uh, and then <clears throat> as the years sort of went on, the symptoms sort of just gradually increased. Uh, mm. And I got to the point where I was like, walk, couldn't struggle to walking upstairs um, and just get dizzy. And again, like if I, what, what, what was not known at the time, but as my heart was out of rhythm, I really would get that, that taste, yeah. that, like, taste mm. in my mouth. Yeah. And get really yeah. claggy. And, and it just happened to be like one day we were just like, oh, um, I think I oh, stopped wearing my heart rate monitor because I just thought it was broken. <laughs> 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 I I Must be the technology. Yeah, I just need to know. There's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> yeah. Can't be my heart. <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we, we were sort of all, there's something wrong here. We thought there might have been worse. Yeah, we sat down to dinner and I was like, gosh, mate, like, this yeah. is wrong. Like, I, I was saying to you, tired. Nikki, before we started this podcast, like, I was clearly like, there must be something. Like, either you're just soft, like, what's going on <laughs> I copped, here? I copped a lot of that. Well, you copped a lot from your coaches and us. Yeah. Like, it's like, you should, you tell us that you can perform, but now we're not yeah. seeing it and you're not recovering yeah. and you're always tired. And we had a newborn, our firstborn at the time. And, you know, I was the one getting up at night. I was the one doing all this. And <laughs> yeah, no excuse. <laughs> you can't say it to me. And um, it got to the point where we sat down at dinner and I was like, I think you might need like a brain scan because we've done all the heart investigations mm. by this stage and we kind of just mm. rid her off because it was like, okay, you've got an athlete's heart, it's enlarged, mm. just be careful and, you know, think about mm. your recovery. Mm. But it, because it was in rhythm, it was perfect yeah. for the yeah. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, oh, maybe we need to consider like a brain scan or something. Like this is yeah. really bad um, and quite severe symptoms that you're having. And um, the next day you went out and you actually wore your heart rate. Yeah, so right, yeah, I like that was the sort mm. of okay. I'm just gonna put my heart rate on and back on and mm. went out for a ride. And I was just with some some boys in Foster, and so and anyone who's ridden up there knows the way out of town. It's pretty flat, mm. um, but it's good good forty minutes till you get to the first sort of even gradual incline. Mm. Um, and because I was so so fit and like like aerobically had a high aerobic capacity is I was just able to tip along and mm-hmm. had no notice. It was five o'clock in the morning, pitch black. Couldn't see that. Couldn't see my data. So, uh, so <laughs> kept going, and then we got to the incline, and then the boys just started going away. And the next thing I know is that the whole like it was just like oh, the shock. The shock yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it wasn't until we looked back, my heart rate had been sitting at two hundred and seventy for about. Jesus, minutes. Jesus. Um. And yes, yeah, so I just, I was gone um, mm. and then came to on the side of the road, but yeah, my, my, I'm not sure whether it stopped or the, um, is it, yeah, 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 the yeah. data, whether, it's, whether it just stopped or mm. it wasn't in a position where it was reading probably, but yeah, it sort of then came back to when I got back in the ambulance. Mm. Um, and that was part of the problem, right? So he like passes out, it gets back into the ambulance. Mm. Yeah. You can't catch and it. It's back into rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard to catch it. Mm-hmm. You know, these things, um, you know, sometimes we, for, for, 
for you know these kinds of instances where we're like we're pretty sure something's going on mm. we ask people to wear um monitors or even implant mm. tiny monitors like less than the size of a usb stick wow. to try and catch them mm. because you know without you know we're like look we know something's going on but yeah. we need to know what it is um and they're really slippery little suckers sometimes <laughs> um so yeah so that, that's crazy yeah so we're fortunate to know you know someone in the biz so Mark, yeah <laughs> like but dan was like it's out of rhythm and yeah and mum's like, well, I've got a cancellation. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Worked, worked literally yeah, around the yeah. corner from the from the factory. So yeah. Like, yeah. Sure enough, um, ECG yeah, and the Neko yeah. and um, yeah. And, so it was, mm. uh, it was good to catch it. And yeah, yeah I think it was uh, about six months later. Mm. Um, had the, the EP study and oh yeah, spent, spent a good few hours in surgery. Um, yeah, got the paddles. Yeah, got the paddles. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Yeah, that's very yeah. scary. Yeah, but luckily enough now, like it's um yeah, yeah I came back out, I picked up a hockey stick last year. It's just sort of a test to see how it goes, and yeah, starting to get back into into some activity and yeah, yeah feeling like feeling pretty good. Like it's yeah, it's really good. Mm. Yeah, now yeah. we can actually only blame the kids, which is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because it, it sounds like something like, more like not atrial fibrillation, but I mean something like SVT, which is supraventricular tachycardia. So that's that's um, kind of an um, yeah. So that's kind of what a, it was. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, so that's like an umbrella term for any kind of rapid um, heart rhythm issue that arises above the level of what we call the bundle of his, which is one of the main sort of electrical channels that filters the electrical signals from the atrium through to the mm. ventricle. Um, and it, it, you know, it's it's one of the most common cause of, of palpitations or you know rhythm issues in patients who have completely structurally normal hearts. Mm. Um, and you know, it, it can be really hard to catch because it does flick on and off like that. Um, and you know, often the way to really diagnose it is not only getting an ECG but having yeah you know, what we call an EP um, study, and that can then um, you know tell us what the problem is. And some people have um, little pathways little like electrical circuitry that needs to be we call ablated or burnt away so that it can't cause mischief again some people need medications um all these kinds of things but those sorts of symptoms are really you know really classic and it is really sort of hard to look back on it and you know you look back on it and you're like oh that's when it started um but i think it is um you know it is important to 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 for everybody as they no, no matter what sort of level you're you're active at um that you know if something's wrong something's wrong um and you know i think that um you know being a little bit persistent sometimes because as i say these things are really hard to catch um uh, is you know is is important and and this is why i i find wearable technology really really interesting um because you know with something like um you know, um, the Apple Watch, which is um, getting increasingly geared up to not just detect your heart rate as a number, but also detect your heart rhythm. Um, and it's not approved for use in Australia yet, but there is um, an atrial fibrillation detection um, ability for the Apple Watch. Um, and, you know, that sort of technology is only going to get better. And, you know, there's going to be times when it gets it wrong at the moment while the technology is being developed. But I think down the track, we'll only see that get better. Um, and I think, you know, for you, Dan, that would have been amazing if you could have, you know, your Apple Watch was like, I've got this, I know what it is. <laughs> and, you know, do that diagnosis for you. Um, so that I, I think wearable technology is going to be a really fascinating um, field that's going to keep growing and going to be really useful for, for those times. But, yeah, I think it's a, a great, a really um, good um, <laughs> tale of caution as to why, <laughs> why we shouldn't blame the kids. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> and Overwatch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. So now as a heart surgeon, Nikki, is there anything you're not good at? Because, you know, there's got to be some element to this. <laughs> Yes, there's plenty I'm not good at. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely plenty. I'm not a very good cook. Um, I can bake, but I can't cook. Um, so that's probably my biggest Achilles heel. Achilles heel, rather. Um, but yeah, there's plenty I'm not good at. I think, you oh, know, sometimes you get sort of, you get this view of people from, mm. you know, their area of expertise or their, um, um, their um, you know, their social media or their CV that everything's amazing. And honestly, life is not like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth? And as you said at the start, you're like, I don't know how all this works. It just kind of happens. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I don't know how to do. Organise myself. <laughs> yeah, oh, neither. If you find that out, let me know. I will. I'll, I'll swap you. I'll, I'll like do the cooking part and then... <laughs> that actually sounds really good yeah yeah i'm on it um now what is like you know i'm just conscious of time because i could get carried away here but what's um what at the moment is just fueling your passion and curiosity nikki what's this one thing that you're like i can't i i love doing this and this is my purpose I think curiosity actually like I think yeah yeah just I just wanting to know more and learn more and do more is you know really interesting for me you know particularly um as I mentioned earlier you know I'm, I'm doing a PhD and it is that sort of fascination with what I'm looking at and and not only that that ability to perhaps at the end of that um you know affect some really important change and and for my other I call, always call it my other job my second job you know being on social media or you know writing books or whatever it is it is you know at a base level I'm interested in what I'm talking about but also I'm very I'm very um, keen to get those messages, those important messages out to people um, mm. because I think that they have merit and, and I think people need to be um, empowered um, about knowing about their own bodies and how they work and, you know, when to seek help and when to um, relax and how to take care of yourself as best as you can. You know, that, that's a real driving force for me. Yeah, that's amazing. You mentioned there um, that taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, are there trends within your um, practice and your day-to-day -day, um, work that you're seeing change or develop in the population that you're seeing or... Yeah, I think that, you know, with people I, I tend to take care of, you know, I think there is this sort of misconception in in the community. And I think a lot of this comes from, um, you know, wellness industry, you know, fitness industry, diet, culture type thing um, that, you know, you, you, you just have to want your health badly enough. Um, and I think that that's not accessible for everybody. So one of the things that I think is, is a good thing is that a lot of people in healthcare, you know, in various different fields are becoming more cognizant of the fact that we actually need to empower people to, to be healthy um, and not just lump all of the responsibility on them. So we need to create communities and societies and facilities and, um, you know, 
the way we um, the way we market food, the way we buy food, the way we you know what's available to us, um, and try and make um, make health more equitable, um, that everybody can access um, health, um, everyone can access say nutritious food, um, somewhere safe to exercise, um, childcare, all these things that sort of you know go into uh, enabling us to take take care of ourselves. So I think that's a really um, I think that's a really worthwhile and um, interesting. Um, change that we're going to be seeing in healthcare in coming years. And I think a lot of it is being driven by patients and, and healthcare consumers themselves. They're like, you know, it's, we need to have fairness um, and uh, equality and equity in, in the way we access things that are going to make us healthy. And it's not just about willpower or personal responsibility. And I think that's a really good, a good thing that's going to happen in, in health um, going forward. Now I'm sitting down at the moment where I'm like trying not to dance because that that, <laughs> oh, that messaging was goosebump material just for the main reason that I, I love hearing that messaging and I, I really mm. love seeing that obviously on your platform but as you said growing and proliferating through mm -hmm. more of realising that change isn't about demanding health mm. it's about supporting and empowering it um, to yep. occur within person's environment and culture and preference yeah um and so for you to sum that up so beautifully i can't <laughs> a way to finish this podcast now uh, oh amazing so nikki thank you so so much from the bottom of our heart <laughs> for coming on this podcast um it's been an absolute pleasure i have learned so much um you as we were well aware before you came on translate so beautifully all the intricacies <laughs> of your profession so um, I really, really appreciate your time and thank you so, so much for um, sharing all your views and also um, your assistance and support um, to our wider audience. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's an awesome, interesting chat. Oh, it's fabulous. Best of luck with all your studies too. Just you're <laughs> thank you. Yeah, <laughs> keeps me out of travel. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Good <laughs> <laughs> <your> time. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on that podcast. I hope you loved it as much as we loved hosting it. Um, and if you have any questions regarding what we chatted about um, or any concerns, please reach out. Nikki's been so um, generous in providing her details and you can see those in the description below. So you can either check in via her website or her socials. Uh, and then if you have any concerns around um, energy deficiency syndrome in sport, or if you are concerned about any disordered eating habits that could be impacting your resting heart rate or you believe that might be something to screen for, please reach out. We offer a free assessment over on our website, www.competenutrition.com. Um, and really excited to get that conversation started with you um, with one of our dietitians. So thank you so much. Really looking forward to connecting again very soon on our next episode. Cheers.